active and sharper than any two-edged sword. As we come before you to read your word, help us to take it to heart that we might be conformed to your image. Open our eyes, ears, and hearts that through your word our lives may be changed. For indeed, we want more than information. We seek transformation. In your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Thank you, Karen. Unclean, unclean. What a horrible life that would be. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a, a, a leper in, in ancient times, having to say unclean, unclean wherever you went? Today, of course, we have antibiotics that allow us to defeat uh, leprosy. But back then, there was no, no noble cure. And, and so if someone was found to have leprosy, they had to walk around and say unclean, unclean, because it was believed to be highly contagious so that others would be warned to avoid them at all costs. And they couldn't live inside of the town. They had to live outside of the town, all alone, as an outcast. Of course, man wasn't meant to be alone, was they? Were they? No, in fact, we remember from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, when God creates all of creation, he'll speak a word, and then it happens, and God looks at it, and he says, it is good. And when he finally creates humanity on the sixth day, he says, it is very good. We were the crown of creation, created in the very image of God. But as we read the story in Genesis chapter 2, the detailed story of Adam and how God forms Adam out of the dirt and breathes breath into him so that he might have life, he sees Adam walking on the earth all by himself, and he says, it is not good that man should be alone. It's the first, it's not good in all of the Bible. Before then, everything was good. But then when God sees Adam all by himself, he says, it is not good to be alone. In fact, we know that we were created in the very image of God. If we think about what that means, well, our God is a a divine community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A community that's so intimate that the three are actually one. And so if we've been created in the image of this God, then we are communal beings created for community. It is not good that man should be alone. Yet the leper in ancient times had to live alone, had to live outside of town all by himself with no one else to commune or talk to, having to yell, unclean, unclean, when any other person might come near to him. He truly was an outcast. Have you ever felt like an outcast before? Like he didn't fit in. Anybody here remember junior high? Anybody? Junior high? <laughs> I don't know about you, but my junior high experience was, was less than perfect. Uh, I've met a lot of people. I've been blessed to work in some great churches with a lot of people, and I've never met an adult who said that the highlight of their life was junior high. <laughs> I haven't met that person yet. Now, if you remember middle school, uh, specifically, do you remember those old middle school dances that we used to have? Oh, my goodness. I had braces and acne, which is not a good combination. <laughs> at a middle school dance. And my parents, with good intentions, signed me up for this thing called cotillion. They ever heard of cotillion, where young people are taught how to dance. And even though I could hit a baseball and I could make a three-pointer and I could catch a football, I did not know how to dance as a little boy. And, 
And, and my, I went to this small private school with about 10 other students who had to go to Cotillion because our parents made us. And we'd go to this large room where there were over 200 kids in Midland from all the different public schools in Midland. And, and they all seemed to know each other, but 10 of us didn't know each other at all. And, and inevitably, it always seemed like I would break out even worse right before the dance. I remember one time I had this big red pimple right at the end of my nose. I looked like Rudolph. It was awful. I did not like Cotillion. I always felt like the outsider. Walking in with that pimple on the end of my nose, I felt like I should walk in and say, unclean, unclean. (laughs) You remember those middle school dancers, right? The boys were on this side and the the girls were all the way over here and there's this big chasm and they they, they made the boys, they required us to walk across the chasm, to walk across the room and and invite another girl, invite a girl to dance and the fact is, I didn't know most of these girls, and so here I was with this big red pimple on the end of my nose, having to invite a girl to dance I didn't know. And nobody wants to dance with Rudolph, right? I mean, it was awful. Yeah, it was very awkward. Have you ever felt like an outcast, like you didn't fit in? Maybe you walk in a room, it's full of people, but you don't know any of them, and you can feel like you're on the outside looking in. What are we to do when we feel like an outcast, when we feel like we don't fit in? And just as importantly, what are we to do when we we see someone who who doesn't seem to fit in or or perhaps they're feeling like an outcast? What are we to do to help them? To find out, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. It may be found on page 1095 of your Red Pew Bible, Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you inspired Luke to put pen to paper so that we might have an orderly account of the life, the teachings, and the ministries of Jesus. We pray, O Lord, that as we continue to read your word, that you might give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Luke chapter five, beginning at verse 12, listen to the word of the Lord. While he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand. And touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and the great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Notice that this man is not given a name. He he isn't known by a name. He's known by a disease. His whole identity is wrapped up in the fact that he has leprosy. He is a leper. And that's how he's known. Here's actually a picture of a man who who has leprosy. It's a very painful disease. 
Of course, the man in Luke 5 doesn't just have leprosy on his face. He has it over his entire body. As Luke, the physician, tells us, he was full of leprosy. Now, we know from Leviticus that uh, Karen read just a moment ago that when someone had leprosy, particularly in the Jewish community in ancient times, they were supposed to yell, unclean, unclean, wherever they went. And they weren't supposed to come into the town. They were supposed to say outside of the town. But this man is breaking all the rules. He's not saying unclean, unclean as he approaches Jesus in the middle of a city. Now, this man doesn't care what the consequences of his actions might be because he is desperate to be healed. As Jesus says at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are blessed when we are desperate for God's healing touch. And this man comes to Jesus desperate, desperate for the healing touch of Jesus. Notice what the man says to Jesus. It says, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The man with leprosy, who's full of leprosy and all humility, doesn't question whether or not Jesus has the power to heal. He knows that Jesus has the power to heal. After all, he's heard how Jesus has been able to heal every person who's come to him with an infirmity. Beginning in Luke 4, we read about how Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and everyone within Capernaum who had a disease was coming to Jesus and he was able to heal everyone. There wasn't a disease he couldn't heal. There wasn't a demon he couldn't cast out. Yes, this leper knows that Jesus has the power to heal. The question is whether or not Jesus and his sovereign power will decide to heal this man. How many times have you and I prayed for a friend who's been diagnosed with cancer? Maybe it's late. And we pray desperately and earnestly that God might heal them, yet they aren't healed. The dreaded diagnosis comes. We all start praying. Sometimes God answers our prayer for physical healing and the chemotherapy or the, or the radiation therapy. It works and, and the cancer cells die and, and they're new, cancer-free. But sometimes, sometimes we pray earnestly. We've got our friends and family members praying earnestly and yet the chemo doesn't work. The radiation therapy is ineffective and our loved one dies. What are we to do then? How are we to to go on knowing that God didn't answer our prayer the way we wanted him to? You know, Jesus knows what it feels like to pray a prayer and to not have initially what it is you're desiring. On the very night that Jesus was betrayed, knowing that his crucifixion was pending, knowing that he was about to be betrayed by Judas, he He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and and Luke tells us in his account that that Jesus is so stressed, he's actually sweating blood, the anxiety and the concern and the worry about his coming crucifixion. And so in desperation, he cries out to God in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup, this cup of suffering from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. From this prayer, this short prayer, we can see that Jesus initially did not want to die on a cross. He didn't want to have to suffer like he knew he was going to. And so he cries out to his heavenly Father, can you take this cup from me, if at all possible? And yet, we can see that Jesus ultimately is 
and his faith is willing to submit to the will of our Heavenly Father. Because he knows our Heavenly Father is good. He knows that our Heavenly Father loves him. He knows that ultimately his Heavenly Father is going to deliver him, that on the third day he's going to rise again, conquering sin and death on our behalf so that we all might be saved. Yes, Jesus knows that he can trust his Heavenly Father because he knows how much he loves him. Do we know how much our Heavenly Father loves us today? We only need to look at the cross of Christ to see the depth and the breadth of God's amazing love. He doesn't just love us this much. He loves us this much. Jesus says in John 15, no greater love is there than this than a man who is willing to die for his friends. As you read in John chapter 3, verse 16, let's all say that together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was God's great love for all of us, despite our sin, despite our brokenness, despite our rebellion, that led him to send his son here to this earth to live in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father, to become the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that our sins could be atoned for, so that we could be in a right relationship with God, so that we might have the assurance of eternal life if we simply believe in him. The next time we feel like an outcast, let us turn our hearts and minds towards Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us turn our hearts and minds towards Jesus and remember that he too was rejected by men, that he too knows what it means to to experience bullying and, and ridicule, that he was even crucified. And yet, Jesus was able to overcome the grave. By the power of God, he was able to overcome sin and death itself. He did all of this because he loves us. And there is no greater love. Yes, in Jesus, we can see that we have a a God who knows what it means to suffer. In Jesus, we we know that we have a God who, who knows what it means to experience pain, what it means to be rejected by men. He even knows what it means to pray a prayer and not receive initially what it is you want. But in Jesus, we can also see that we have a Savior who overcame the beatings and the ridicule of men. In his resurrection, Jesus conquered sin and death on our behalf. Jesus died a criminal's death so that we wouldn't have to. He he paid the price for our sins so that we might be reconciled to God. Yes, Jesus' resurrection lets us know that with all assurance, death does not have the final say for those who call upon the name of the Lord. Notice how the leper addresses Jesus in our text this morning. He calls him Lord. He recognizes the divine power that Jesus has. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story about this healing of this unnamed leper. And it's interesting, Mark gives a little bit more of a detailed description about how Jesus was feeling in that moment. I'm going to read from the New American Standard Version of the Bible here, Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 42. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. 
Luke tells the same story, but you may have noticed it doesn't say that Jesus was moved with compassion. As a physician, Luke knows that simply to touch, to offer a loving, compassionate touch communicates compassion. It communicates love. And don't we all need love? Don't we all need that touch? Yes, we know from Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. The next time we feel like an outcast, the next time we feel like we're being rejected by others, we need to turn to Jesus as this leper did. We need to pray to Jesus so that we might be reminded of how much he loves us. He loves us with an unconditional, sacrificial love. We need to pray to Jesus so that we might be reminded that he overcame the rejection of men, that he overcame death and sin itself. And finally, we need to pray to Jesus so that Jesus might help us see how we can help reach out to the outcasts and to those who are hurting among us. You know, leprosy is not a big problem in our world today, at least not in the United States, because we have wonderful antibiotics that can defeat this disease. But we still have people in our country, in our very church, who often feel like outsiders, who feel like they're outcasts, who don't feel like they fit in. You know, any one of us can walk into a room full of people, and yet we can feel utterly alone. One of our current deacons tells me the story that the first time she actually visited our church, she went to uh, our largest adult Sunday school class in the parlor. It was called the Seekers class at that time. And, and as we were all prone to do, when she walked into that room, she saw that lots of people were talking to each other. You know, when I walk into a room and I see someone I know, immediately I start talking to them and we converse and we catch up. And, and that's what everybody was doing. But nobody noticed that she and her husband were brand new and no one seemed to recognize them as newcomers and no one greeted them. Well, feeling a little like the outsider, they found a chair and at a table and they sat down and were sitting by themselves for several minutes until finally another couple came in and sat down next to them. And they began to converse and meet. And actually, they learned that this couple was also brand new. And that's why they were able to connect. Thankfully, by God's grace, both of these couples are now very active in our church. But First Presbyterian Church, we should never ignore or not recognize the outsider who's come in. We've got to be a church that's always reaching out with a, with a warm handshake and a, and a welcome smile to anyone who comes who doesn't already know this body of Christ. Now, I know that in a church of our size, it's easy to introduce someone who's actually already a member. You just don't know them, right? And you feel a little awkward. How long have you been in church? Oh, 30 years. Okay, I've been here four. That happens, and that's okay. And we've got three different services. You know, you might have someone who you meet who goes to 830 and you go to 11, or if they go to 1105, you may have never met. But we're, we're not so big that we can't greet and meet everyone and reach out to them. No one should ever feel alone in our church. It's true that our church has a, a thousand members, and it's, it's really impossible to know everyone's name. But there, right now, I would guess there's probably 200 people in this room. It's possible to know 200 names. It's possible to walk into a room and to, and to meet the people. And if you come here every Sunday... You can get to know everybody who goes to 11 o'clock service. Many of y'all sit in the same places almost every week. It's very obvious. I wait for you to come before I start the service. No, just kidding. I do that. <laughs> but it's very easy to, to greet someone in the service. It, when you walk into the great hall, if you see someone you don't know, please reach out to them. They may be new. Or they just may be simply longtime members that you haven't been blessed to get to know yet. We always need to be reaching out to the others. So they might know that we love them and more importantly, God loves them. 
Yes, we are called to be connected as the body of Christ so that we might grow together and use our gifts and ministry together to help build up his body, to help build up his church. We are better together. Now, I know what a few of you may be thinking right now. If you're like my wife, you're an introvert, and you're like, man, large crowds, I don't like that. That really wears me out. But notice what Jesus does after healing the unnamed leper. In verse 15 and 16, we read this. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Jesus does a miracle and doesn't keep people from coming. It draws more people. Even told, he told the guy not to say anything until he got to the priest, so the priest would see the power of Jesus' healing hand. Word spreads. People saw it happen. Immediately he was healed. The word goes out, and people are now coming to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? But he withdrew. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. That's the rhythm of Jesus' ministry. He would do a great work, and then he would withdraw to a desolate place to pray, to be alone with our Heavenly Father so that he might be nourished in time with his Heavenly Father. We saw several weeks ago when, when Orlando preached, before Jesus even begins his ministry, he spends 40 days out in the wilderness fasting and praying to prepare for the ministry God was calling him to. We saw that after healing Peter's mother-in-law and everyone who had a disease in Capernaum, he slips away to be alone to pray. Before Jesus picks his 12 disciples and, and appoints these 12 to be those 12 disciples, he spends an entire night in prayer. After feeding the 5,000 with just five barley loaves and two fish, what does Jesus do? He withdraws to be alone with his heavenly Father in prayer. If Jesus, the Son of God, needs to spend time alone with our Heavenly Father in prayer, how much more do we need to spend time alone with our Heavenly Father in prayer? Even if you're extroverted like I am, and we gain energy from being with people, we need to make sure we're spending time alone with our Heavenly Father so that our time with others might be that much more rich. Richard Foster, in his contemporary Christian classic, Celebration of Discipline, puts it this way. Like Jesus, we must go away from people so that we can be truly present when we are with people. The fruit of solitude, being alone, is increased sensitivity and compassion for others. The fruit of time alone with our Heavenly Father is increased compassion towards others, for we begin to see them as God sees them His creation, children that He loves. His time alone with God helps us see and remind us of just how much God loves us. And God fills our hearts with his love so that his love might flow through our hearts to other people. You know, in our text, Jesus could have healed the man simply by saying the words. That's what he does in Luke 4. He says the word. He casts out the the fever. He casts out the demon. He's able to heal people just by saying it. But notice in our text, he He touches the man before he says a word. I believe Jesus does this because he knows that this leper who has lived in isolation from all other people, who's had to yell, unclean, unclean, whenever he comes near to someone so they might withdraw from him, he knew that this leper needed to be touched. He needed to experience the loving touch of God. Do you know what the needs are of the people around you? In your place of work? in your neighborhood, in your social circles. I believe that if we will spend time alone with our Heavenly Father, 
praying and spending time meditating on God's word and and even praying for those people in our place of work or in our neighborhood or, or within our social circles, then God will help us see what their needs are so that we might be even more effective in ministering to them. Yes, I believe that if we'll spend time alone with God every day, as Jesus did, then we'll be more effective in ministering to the needs of those around us. As we spend time alone with God, we'll be reminded of just how much God loves us, and then his love will naturally flow through us to others. The leper, he needed to be touched. Who are the people in your life that need to be touched with God's love today? Please join as you pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you that you're a God who, who took on flesh so that you might walk among us, teach us, heal us, touch us, and ultimately demonstrate the great love that you have for us by dying on a cross so that our sins might be atoned for, so that we might live in a reconciled relationship.